Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that my free Fertility Masterclass is now available for you to watch. I invite you to join me for this 60-minute masterclass where I talk you through the top four fertility diet mistakes I see my clients making and what to do instead using my practical nutrition strategies that I use with my one-on-one clients every single day. Spots do fill up quickly though, so be sure to save your seat using the link in the show notes below and I'll see you there. Now on to today's episode. Today we are going to be talking about what the core differences are between folic acid and folate and learning a bit more about the MTHFR polymorphism or sometimes referred to as a genetic mutation and what it means when you're trying to conceive. Now, for those who don't know, folic acid is absolutely essential in preconception and also in early pregnancy. And this is because this little B vitamin is helping our bodies support the rapid expansion of new DNA growing, which is happening from the time that the egg is fertilized by sperm and in those early stages of embryo development. We also have research to show that those who are deficient in folate are more likely to have a child with a neural tube defect such as spina bifida. So the neural tube is actually formed in the very, very early weeks of pregnancy and is going to be your baby's future spinal cord and brain. So obviously really, really precious material here. It is where every other nerve is going to stem from. And folate is critical in the proper closure of the neural tube so that we have an intact future brain and spinal cord. And so we know that about 50% of pregnancies are unplanned, which for those of you who have been trying to conceive for a while or planning conception may seem like an absolutely shocking statistic, but uh, it still is pretty accurate to this day. (laughs) But folate deficiency in women of reproductive age is a huge public health problem. And so the government actually started to fortify Australian and New Zealand bread flours in non-organic packaged breads with folic acid in the bread flour to try and make up for the population level deficiency in this nutrient to potentially prevent women who were falling unexpectedly pregnant, who weren't taking a prenatal vitamin, for example, from this risk of a neural tube defect by, I guess, increasing the amount in the food supply in what is otherwise a commonly eaten food by most women, say, on any given day. 
This happened back in 2009 here in Australia, and it has been a voluntary thing over in New Zealand. However, in the last 10 years or so, we have seen a reduction in neural tube defect rates since this has happened. So it seems to be a a success story from the public health perspective, which is absolutely fantastic. Now, of course, that doesn't negate the need for at a bare, bare minimum 400 micrograms of folic acid one to three months prior to conception and absolutely throughout the first trimester as well. Your requirements in pregnancy are 600 micrograms and pre-pregnancy 500 micrograms. So your diet does have to fill in that gap a little bit with foods like green vegetables, lentils, oranges, strawberries, and avocado, to name a few from the natural source of folate, which I'll get to in a second. Or of course, you could use fortified sources like breads and also many breakfast cereals are fortified with folic acid as well to fill in that one to 200 microgram gap. Now, before I move on, there are certain populations of people based on medical history, medications, body weight and blood work that require sometimes significantly more folic acid to prevent neural tube defects. So I would strongly, strongly advise that for a specific dosage recommendation for you, don't just take my general word for this on this podcast. Please speak to either your doctor or you can book in with myself or one of the team members here at the dietologist who can help you with a personalized supplementation plan based on your unique needs. It is a quick 30-minute session and you'll get a personalized supplementation plan with exactly what products, the dosage, when to take it, and it will give you an absolute breakdown of what you're getting as well. So, I cannot stress enough, there is no one size fits all when it comes to prenatal vitamins um, and specifically with folic acid uh, dosages as well. Now, on to the difference between folic acid and folate. This is one of the most common questions that I get in my Instagram DMs and I've posted about it quite a few times over at the the underscore dietologist on Instagram, but uh, I thought I would cover this in a complete podcast episode. So folic acid is the synthetic form of the nutrient folate or vitamin B9. It's a water-soluble vitamin, which means that if given in excess, it will dissolve in water and leave the body via the urine. So it's really, really, really hard to overdose on folic acid or folate for that matter. Now, synthetic folic acid is really absorbable and it's really reliable in terms of its absorption for the most part. Whereas naturally occurring folate, which is found in our green leafy vegetables and lentils and beans and strawberries and oranges and avocados, all those foods I mentioned before, this form of folate, whilst it is less absorbable, doesn't require as many steps in the body to be converted into its most active form. It kind of bypasses all those steps and it is ready to go in its end product to help support cell growth and and rapid DNA division. Now, I do realize it sounds really confusing, but synthetic folic acid requires a few steps before it gets to the point that uh, folate is in, but the absorption as in the digestive absorption is better before it gets to that metabolic level, if that makes sense. Okay, so that's the key difference between synthetic folic acid and folate. So which is better? At the end of the day, all of our data 
says that we need to be counseling women to be taking folic acid prior to conception and throughout pregnancy. What we do know, however, is that there is a segment of the population that potentially isn't getting the most out of this synthetic folic acid, whether that be from supplementation or fortified breads and cereals, if that's in your diet, if you're consuming non-organic packaged breads. So based on some US data, about 10 to 15% of Caucasian Americans and 25% of Hispanic Americans carry this genetic difference, which is called MTHFR. Now, this is not an acronym for a rude word like I thought in second year biochemistry and third year nutrition. No, no. Uh, It is an enzyme that helps the body methylate or add on to the folate to make it more active in the body to be able to do its job of obviously protecting your future baby and helping your cells be maintained, supporting your mental health and so on and so forth. So for it to do all of its functions, MTHFR is that critical last step before it goes into its most active and functional form to be converted. Now, as you can see, based on this US-based data, which is from um, the Rare Diseases Center, which it isn't a rare disease when you look at those percentages. But anyway, you can see that it's actually not that low of a percentage of people. However, testing isn't being conducted on a widespread level because there's a lot of contention within the medical community that this is even having a significant impact on health or pregnancy outcomes. So how do you know if you have this MTHFR gene mutation? Now, the signs and symptoms of MTHFR mutations are not at all that obvious because folic acid and folate are so involved in the process of methylation, which affects cells and genes everywhere. So it's hard to really put an exact pinpoint on a set of symptoms that you could be looking for and different genetic differences and and whether you have one or two copies of the gene can really make a big difference to how significant of an impact that this can have on your health and your ability to uh, activate folate from folic acid as well. And it has a different I guess, level of impact depending on that. So some mutations carry a 20 to 30% reduction in conversion um, and whilst others are 50 to 80%. So some are more significant than others. The way to find out is actually a genetic test. And unfortunately, this isn't being offered widespread. You do have to meet lots of different kind of criteria for this to be covered, at least here in Australia, by the government. Uh, However, I'm sure you can request this and find this test um, through other providers as well. It's not something I personally offer as I would prefer it to come from uh, a genetics lab that I trust through your doctor. But it is something that I can help you advocate for with your team if I think it might be necessary based on your history. Some people also show some differences in some more mainstream blood work, such as their folate levels, their B12 levels, and potentially their homocysteine levels, which is one of the byproducts of this metabolism cycle 
If your body isn't converting it too well from folic acid to folate, there may be a rise in homocysteine. But this isn't always consistently the case. So it's really, really, really hard to rely on any of these metrics to really diagnose MTHFR without that next level genetic testing. So often this next level testing doesn't come about until we've had some potential abnormalities such as miscarriage, stillbirth, troubles conceiving, a previous birth with cleft palate, neural tube defects or congenital heart abnormalities, a family history of high homocysteine or MTHFR mutation, high fasting homocysteine or a stroke with high homocysteine levels. So these are very, very specific things, uh, which for some, this would be you may tick some of these boxes, but for others, it you might not be ticking any of these boxes, but you still may want to know. So as you may have gotten a hint from that list, the consequences of an undiagnosed or poorly managed MTHFR genetic polymorphism or genetic difference that isn't being well managed and particularly one that has a very big impact on the body's ability to convert folic acid to folate can be quite significant. And we do know there are 34 known mutations in the gene that encodes for the NTHFR enzyme. And so there are two key variants that we generally look for in most tests. And what we're trying to look for is whether you're heterozygous, which means you've got one copy, or you're homozygous, which means you've got two copies, or you might be compound heterozygous, Or if you have one copy from both of these mutations, you may be classified as compound heterozygous. And depending on which of the categories you fall into, you will have a different percentage of that enzyme activity, which obviously goes on to have an effect on how your body is dealing with synthetic folic acid from both your supplements, but also your diet as well. If this is something that you feel like may be resonating with you, perhaps you've had a history of of miscarriage and pregnancy loss, then this might be something you want to consider with your fertility specialist to look at, um, pursuing further testing and modifying your supplement regime and diet accordingly. So depending in my practice, depending on the level of the enzyme activity being reduced, is the whether we decide to eliminate synthetic folic acid from the diet or just limit it um, or whether it's fine to keep in but we're just changing supplementation over. So that's a discussion I have with my clients one-on-one. So for those of you listening who have been tested for MTHFR, what are some of my top tips? So the first one is try to angle your diet more towards those foods naturally rich in folate in its active form. So your dark leafy green vegetables like spinach, arugula or rocket, lettuce, broccoli, kale, all that good stuff, citrus fruits, legumes and beans, and avocado, just to name a few. These foods are going to help you reach your folate target. Then having a chat with your practitioner about a appropriate prenatal supplement that has the activated form of folate in the right dosage for you. So this is absolutely critical if this is known information to you. It is, I can't stress this enough, go and see a fertility dietitian or nutritionist who has a good understanding of this who can help you. So that is a wrap on today's episode. I can't believe I've already been talking about this topic for 15 minutes. I thought it was going to be a 10-minute episode, 
for sure. But it is a bit of a complex one. So if you do have questions, drop me a DM over on Instagram at the underscore dietologist. Would love to hear from you. If you want that prenatal supplement consultation, just head to our website, thedietologist.com.au to book in a 30-minute session with myself or one of the team members here at The Dietologist who can guide you through. And of course, don't forget to register for my absolutely free masterclass down in the show notes. They're running pretty regularly at the moment. So don't forget to secure your seat. There are so many knowledge bombs in there. And there's also a nice little treat in there if you do come along to the masterclass. So I hope this podcast episode's been useful for you, for those who have been wanting to have that idea of synthetic folic acid versus folate or methylated folate cleared up and what MTHFR is and what is its impact on your body. This topic is an area of emerging research, so you may not get a clear response from your care team if they're not across this. You can always seek another opinion, book in with us. We get it, we understand, and we can help you advocate for what you need from your care team as well. Until next time, everyone. Bye.